Our second lesson is from the Gospel of John, 6th chapter. It's printed for you here in your liturgy. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see and believe you? What works are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Those words are lovely. They are poetic. They're moving. And for many of us, they have a deep resonance uh, because we grew up hearing them over and over again. But those words, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me will never be hungry, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, those words, um, they can live kind of for us uh, in the realm of sentimental feeling, I think, sometimes. Uh, And or they can just simply be abstract to us. Uh, We can believe these words to be true, but whatever they mean exactly can kind of feel a little bit distant uh, from us in our everyday experience of life. And when it comes right down to it, I think some of us, including me, when we're being honest, will admit that we often struggle to say just how Jesus is our bread of life. How is he our bread of life? Uh, or just what, what does it look like uh, to have our hunger and our thirst satisfied? Well, the passage actually that I think in our readings this morning that helps us the most with answering those questions is the passage from Ephesians, actually, that Michael read before communion. Because here in that, in that passage from Ephesians, Paul offers us a very tangible and even structured way 
of thinking about how it is that Jesus comes near to us and how it is that Jesus gives himself to us. In other words, Paul paints a picture of how the bread of life feeds us on a daily basis. Now, you're going to have to be patient with me because there's some moving parts here, but I'm going to be deliberate and slow about it, and I don't think I'm going to lose anybody. Um, Sometimes I lose myself up here. Let's hope that doesn't happen either. Um, (laughs) In the reading uh, from Ephesians this morning, um, Paul refers to and kind of uh, roots his theological discourse in that little passage uh, by riffing on a psalm, Psalm 68. Psalm 68, if you want to take a look at it later, um, where God is envisioned as a warrior God, the victorious one who takes the spoils of war and receives them as a gift. Now, here's how the psalm reads in the Old Testament. With mighty chariotry, twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands, the Lord came from Sinai into the holy place. You ascended the high mount leading captives in your train and receiving gifts from people. The imagery there is a, you know, like an ancient Near Eastern king, right? Who goes off and leads his troops into battle and they, they go off and they, and they are victorious and they come back with the spoils of war and they, they have a train of captives, right, that are following behind them, that they have conquered, that they will turn into slaves, and they have the wealth of whatever nation that they have conquered along with them. And that's, and the psalmist says, God has declared Israel's enemies to be those who he will defeat, and God is pictured there and imaged as the one who receives the spoils of victory. That's that's how the psalm has it. And fast, in a fascinating way, I mean, you think, how is it the Holy Spirit brings that psalm to mind for, for Paul here? But that's the psalm on his mind when he thinks about what he wants to say about how God gives himself graciously to the church. Because Paul changes the wording of the psalm and... Uh, in a significant way. He says, when he refers to the psalm, each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, and he has this psalm on his heart. He says, therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive He gave gifts to people. He gave gifts to people. But the psalm says he receives gifts from people. And the passage, Paul tweaks it to say he gives gifts to people. And then he goes on to say the gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In the psalm, the poetic language is meant to encourage Israel that God alone will protect her from her many enemies. But Paul here in Ephesians shifts the language of the psalm to language of fulfillment, to account for the coming of Jesus onto the stage of world history and to account for the message of the gospel. For in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, history has turned a corner and God is rightly understood to be at work defining and defeating his enemies in a very different way than is pictured in the psalm that Paul has in mind and riffs on. Because of Jesus Christ, the enemies of God in the form of people, he now defeats by converting them. Not vanquishing them. Well, vanquishing them if conversion counts. Uh, Not coercion, but conversion. He converts them with radical enemy love. And who better to know about that than the Apostle Paul? Who better to know about that? Presiding over the stoning of Stephen, an enemy of the church, Paul desires to vanquish the Christian church until God knocks him off his horse and blinds him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And brings him into the embrace of God in Christ. He is not vanquished, if you will. He is converted to the love of Christ. Then becomes, of course, the ambassador of the love of God to all the Gentiles and indeed to all people. The gospel also helps us think about not only how God approaches God's enemies, but also helps us think about how God defines his enemies making it clear that we should not think of God as being for some people and not for others. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has declared all patterns of living that the Bible calls sin, all patterns of living that work against human flourishing to be the enemies of God. And in the cross of Christ, God has defeated all those enemies and now desires for us to share in the spoils of that victory. Jesus has gone to the cross, defeated the powers of darkness, absorbed our sins as our substitutionary sacrifice, has been vindicated by God the Father and the power of the resurrection. And Paul teaches us here in Ephesians by using the imagery of that Old Testament psalm reworked that God has taken the spoils of that victory Jesus' victory over every enemy of human flourishing, and he has given the spoils of that victory to the church as gifts. And, wait for it, what are the gifts? The gifts are people. Some evangelists, some preachers, some deacons, some elders, some 
community group participants, some people who bring meals to others when they need them. You get the picture. The gifts are people. You and me. God's gifts to each other. The promise Jesus makes to give himself as a gift to the church, the bread of life that is the only meal that satisfies, is no sentimental saying and no esoteric concept. In Christ's formation of a new community, which is a foretaste of the new humanity that will inherit the world to come, the bread of life is extremely concrete and tangible. Jesus comes to us in the sacrament each week, and Jesus loves you when you bring Jesus' love to each other as we care for each other. In Christian community. So if Jesus' gift of himself to the church feels like a lovely yet sentimental idea, or if it remains an abstract concept for us, it may mean that we are living with the wrong expectations of where and how God nurtures us. I had the opportunity to hang out with a pastor friend of mine the other day, and he was talking about how uh, someone in their community is struggling with an illness and how um, the community had rallied around them and provided meals and whatnot. And here at Grace Chicago, we have those very same stories to tell. And he was sharing about how one of their work colleagues, the person who was sick, how one of their work colleagues said to them, I cannot believe that all these people are caring for you. You know, I mean, they're like 25 people caring for this person on a regular basis. Meals and trips to the doctor and so on and so on. And I've, I've heard the same thing before, too. As a pastor, you get to hear these stories. And uh, I looked at my friend and I said, you know, don't you just want the opportunity to sit down with a person who had that observation and just gently and humbly say to them, what you're noticing is what God wants you to notice because we as human beings made in God's image, we are designed to be in community with each other. We are designed... To, to drink deeply and eat deeply of the bread of life, Jesus' self-giving love, so that then our whole community is made sturdy and is structured around Christ's self-giving love flowing from one of us to the other. That's what we're designed for. So when you see it working, it's not that it worked because there was a sentimental idea about what the bread of life was. It's not working because those words are true in the abstract. It's working because we have taken Scripture's teaching seriously. And we have not imagined that you can have manna once a year. But we have imagined that we have the bread of life and the sacrament of communion each week. And we have imagined that we structure our lives and our resources such that in community with each other we have a a sense of interdependence. That's what we were designed for. 
All of this is simply to acknowledge that this is how God's made us. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, a busy person with lots of social obligations or a super busy person with lots and lots of obligations, you're meant to have a place of meaning and purpose in the new community, the church that is being formed in and around and through Jesus Christ. And so I think it's good for each of us to ask ourselves the question, are we finding our place in the community in an intentional way? Do we believe that we're meant to be gifts gifts to each other and gifts to the world? You have a story to tell that will help someone else experience the love of God in a unique and beautiful way. Are you telling that story? God has made you to be gifts of God's love to one another and the world. May we cultivate our lives so that they align with that glorious truth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God for the gospel. Amen.